Let's see. So I'm going to talk about Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, um, which recently had a 36% um, discount, right, to the price of Bitcoin. And I just want to point out some things about this product that not a whole lot of people um, have, have talked about in the past. More and more people are talking about it now, now that Bitcoin's blowing up. Um, so I linked a, a link, um, sorry. So in the notes or whatever, there's a tweet, um, from Nick Carter and I linked the, the site, the, sorry, the link there. Uh, and he's, he's, um, well, I guess I'll just read it. It says, um, and this is actually, so this was yesterday, right? At, uh, around, around 1 PM, of course, um, Today is um, Saturday, so this was yesterday on Friday uh, when the markets were still open. But he says, watching the GBTC discount looks like all-time high at negative 35% on top of discounted spot Bitcoin. Paths to breaking open the piggy bank. SEC can approve ETF conversion or Grayscale can wind down the trust themselves if they, if they so choose. Though GBTC... Uh, through GBTC, you would be buying Bitcoin at an implied price of 13000 whatever right now. This was yesterday. Bitcoin price was higher, I believe. So that number is not correct today, right now. Next next tweet. Uh, worth noting that as far as I understand, there is no provision of GBT holders, GBTC holders to trigger liquidation of underlying Bitcoin at any threshold. I believe there used to be one at 75%, but that was amended out of the charter. So, um, he's, 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 um, he's talking about here opening up the piggy bank. What does that mean? Meaning, how do we get this Bitcoin out, right? Because the, there's such a large discount here. How do we get this Bitcoin out? Because if we could get the Bitcoin out, right, we could sell it into the market. And, and, uh, because, you know, because race still was, was trading below, the spot price, um, you could in theory um, make more money than if you just sold the shares themselves, you know, during market trading hours. So how do we get the Bitcoin out? That is the question whenever GBTC is trading at a discount. So, but Nick Carter, right? He's a Bitcoin bull. He's this Bitcoin bull. He, he is a smart guy, right? So you would think that he would know that if you allowed this product to come onto the market, right, this Bitcoin to be unlocked from this cage, right, this, this lockup that, that, that GBTC has over all these Bitcoin. Now they have billions of dollars, I think, worth of Bitcoin. What is it now? I don't know, actually. But is it still billions of dollars? Probably. I think it's as much as like Sailor had, um, you know, on his balance sheet. So think about that unwinding. Um, so what Nick Carter doesn't tell you is that in order for this gap to close, this Bitcoin would would come out of the GBT lock, right? GBTC lock product. It would be sold onto the market at, at these distress levels. We'd be selling into this into this pressure, right? Um, and. I can tell you right now that that is exactly what no one wants, right? No Bitcoiner wants all this Bitcoin to be sold uh, on the open market. Now, you would, you would say, well, okay, if arbitrage traders were allowed to close this gap, 
they would buy the GBTC product, right? The shares, the trade, because it's at a discount. And then they would sell the GBT, sorry, sell the Bitcoin that they could, you know, in theory, get out. So does the buying help stave off the selling? No, because you're buying shares. Uh, you're just buying the share of GBTC. So you'd be buying the shares and you'd be dumping the Bitcoin on the market until that gap closes. And that's a really big gap. I mean, we're looking at, you know, 35 plus percent percentage points down. Huge gap. This is billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't know what it is right now. I guess I could look it up uh, while I'm speaking here. But um, that's the last thing that Barry wants to do. You know, and I'm going to talk about this product a little bit in depth here. Just uh, bear with me. This is all, this is speculation on my part, but this is how I think the product is working, right? And, and why I think it was set up this way. This Bitcoin that was in GBTC that's locked up was never meant to come out, right? And you have to realize that Grayscale, the company Grayscale has several, many, many of these trust type products that they set up for different cryptocurrencies, uh, for ETH, for Litecoin, right? For for a bunch of different cryptocurrencies, they've set this up, and they did it on purpose. They did it. They did it this way on purpose. I don't think they want to actually go to an ETF. I think you know, and I'm speculating here, but um, why would Barry Silbert want to actually convert to an ETF? I know that they're threatening the SEC with a lawsuit if it doesn't get approved. But for me, it, it doesn't help Barry. Like he controls completely this asset. Like if you're a shareholder, you're not, you don't have the same rights as like a company, right? You, this is a trust. You're just a beneficiary, which basically means nothing, which means you have no rights in GBTC and you, you own nothing, right? You, you're not an owner. When you put something in a trust, you're and you, you, you say who, who this benefits, uh, as a beneficiary, Right now, the only thing I could think of is that Barry might not be um, acting in fiduciary interest of the beneficiary, uh, which technically might be the shareholders. Right. But I think that he's I think that he's been very smart in how he structured this product. And I don't think that the beneficiary I don't know if he got some he got rid of like the, the fiduciary duty in like a trust product. I, I think that he somehow got rid of that. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Right. <laughs> Disclaimer here. This is just what I what I think is that basically if you're a shareholder, you have no rights. You're at the behest of Barry Silbert. He's the only one that can liquidate um, this this uh, this trust, right, to, to get the Bitcoin out. But I think that there is a recourse for you. I mean, if you're invested in this product, I think that you bought a bad product, yes. And I don't think that, like, the government should bail you out. Um, uh and I think that the SEC, sh SEC shouldn't approve the ETF um, because I think Bitcoin's price is heavily manipulated, right? Um, they haven't approved any ETF. But I do think the people who bought this product were induced, right? So they, I think that they were scammed. So I think they were defrauded. And I most definitely think that you can sue Barry Silbert um, and his companies because they they advertised heavily that this product was um you know going to be a good investment going to go up in price they also advertised it that it would track the bitcoin price they also advertised that and is it is basically never tracked the bitcoin price in the very beginning of this product um it was at a premium remember when it was at a premium and everybody you know all the institutions were doing this trade where they would 
you know, buy Bitcoin in the market. And then if you were like, um, you know, institutional investor, if you were a big, big wig, right, you could uh, hand over the Bitcoin basically directly to Grayscale. They would issue you a share. Um, and this share would be locked up for some time period because this was considered, you know, a private placement. This was considered um, basically with the SEC, you basically have to register this product like a company, like you're issuing shares, a security interest. But there's a loophole. You can still you can sell your shares into the public market um, as long as you have a lockup period of like a year. And it used to be 12 months and now it's like six months. So these people but they would do this because they could because GBTC at the time was trading at such a huge premium uh, to the NAV. Um, so they were they were doing this and it, it, you know it was all hyped up and the way that these weird products work uh you have to be somewhat sophisticated to figure out you know well, well you know how, how many bitcoin do they have in here you know what it what what share uh what if i buy one share how many bitcoin is that does that make sense uh is that is that over the price of bitcoin right that i could just buy in the market or is, or is that under but a lot of people bought this because they had you know stock accounts and this they had their money at a brokerage firm and this was just an easy way their broker let them buy this this product um so it was an easy way for them to get into bitcoin uh now i would say it was just as easy to like go set up an account at coinbase but i guess uh it was it was even easier not to even have to do that right just to just to be able to buy it in your account in your brokerage account and then uh, people started buying it in their retirement accounts, like their 401ks. I guess it's a self-managed 401k. Uh, but yeah, I heard about that happening <laughs> and I thought that was crazy, but it did, it did happen. And technically, you know, GBTC isn't even regulated by the SEC. Um, they, they had to file some kind of exemption and they, they do do some regulatory filings with them as of now, but they're technically not a regulated um, security like you would think of an Apple stock, right? That it's on a main, these big exchanges. They're on like what's called OTC, right? Or pink sheets or something where it's traded over the counter. So, and I don't quite understand this, but it's considered peer-to-peer trading, even though they have all these platforms, right? That you sign up with to buy GBTC. And there's intermediaries, obviously, so I don't know why, you know, how they get away with this stuff. And if you look at Barry Silbert's background, um, he he had this exchange that was an OTC exchange. I mean, or, or for he, he built an exchange for the private sale of um, it was like called secondary secondary market or something. It's, it's basically secondary trading where you have a company that hasn't. Um, gone public you know we typically think of an ipo and a stock being listed on a big exchange um like the nasdaq or something this is where you you have a company you a private company that you start you issue shares in this company but then you want to be able you want to let the people that that own a piece of this company sell their their security interests so these are still securities um, it's just not being offered on a huge exchange that we might typically think of, uh, like the New York Stock Exchange. Um, it's offered on these smaller, uh, over-the-counter, um, you know, what they call pink sheets. And it's, it's, it's usually things that are considered less 
uh, less savvy or less um, more speculative, right? Uh, less liquid, of course. Um, and so the SEC does monitor which companies get get to you know go on the big big boards basically, and they have to be real companies usually, although they've really um, with real profits. Although you could say with, with this last decade, you know, the decade they were in the golden age of fraud, you could say, this is what Jim Chaner says all the time, that they've like basically let big um, Silicon Valley companies that don't make any money, uh, you know, list, list on the public markets. And that's like their exit. So you could say that, you know, it used to be the case that, that people would go public to raise more money because they've already proved, you know, their business plan. And now they just they can go public uh, without being able to make a profit, probably because interest rates were kept you know too low for so long. But anyways, traditionally, um, that's why you know Grayscale's product, the GBTC, was not allowed to be listed you know uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, right? And that's really what Grayscale GBTC was after. They want to be listed on a bigger exchange. They want to be more regulated by the SEC, and they want to convert it to an ETF that allow would allow them to do redemptions, you know, allow third parties to do redemptions um, at the same time as create new units, I believe, of, of the trust. So basically arbitrage in and out of the trust, try to, and that's the only way that you can get this product to, to trace Bitcoin, the price, um, more carefully or, or, or better, right? To the only way that you can really have this product um, trace Bitcoin, the price is is to have these this this ability to take out the Bitcoin, sell it into the market, right? To close the spread. Um, so, um, so the problem is is that the GBTC has never been able to accurately track the price of Bitcoin. I would say. Um, and, you know, at one point I questioned whether it was going, whether it was a Ponzi scheme. A lot of people call Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme. I think it's Ponzi-like. Um, and I, I used to think, well, the shareholders are actually own the underlying Bitcoin. Um, so in theory, they could take that out, uh, sell it onto the market. Um, but so you don't just have to have a share, another shareholder buy your shares. You could, in theory, take out the Bitcoin. But Barry made it very clear that you can't take out the, the Bitcoin of the Bitcoin uh, GBTC product, right? So, um, so the only way that you make money is if somebody else buys your share. And because Bitcoin doesn't offer dividends, um, you can't get paid that way. So is it a Ponzi? I, I don't know. I don't know if you could, you could say that or not. Um, it's a trust product. And because it's not an ETF, it doesn't track something exactly, there might be a case to be made that it is a Ponzi. Um, but people get hung up on whether it fits the definition or not. I think you could definitely argue fraud here. Uh, so, you know, he could be sued for fraud for all the advertisements he's done on CNBC, um, basically telling people that uh, it tracks the price of Bitcoin because it clearly doesn't that uh, it, it, he holds all the cards because right now Barry could be selling Bitcoin into the market because he's the only one that can do so. He could be selling Bitcoin into the market, right? And then buying more shares. He could close that gap, but he refuses to because it would crash the price of Bitcoin. 
I mean, I think other people have made this this claim, but you know, Nick Carter in his little tweet, I'm surprised that he didn't actually say that. He he basically just said two ways to close the gap, but he didn't actually say, you know, here the the next logical conclusion is that if you were to do this, I think Bitcoin goes down in price because you'd be selling the Bitcoin on the market, um, and then you'd be buying back the shares, right? But so, oh, you think there's a buyer in the market? Not really, because you're buying the shares. That doesn't affect the Bitcoin price. You're just dumping a bunch of Bitcoin uh, on the market, which would further depress the price of Bitcoin. So we've got, you know, GBTC, we've got Michael Saylor's Bitcoin. Uh, I think, does Tesla still own their Bitcoin? Um, does Jack Dorsey still own his? Um, so I think that, uh, I think that the other part of the Bitcoin fraud and how you could maybe even relate it to a Ponzi, sorry, the GBTC part of fraud, um, is that the problem with this product is how it relates to Bitcoin. And that you could argue that um, Barry Silbert was a big buyer in the market. He was locking away this Bitcoin so that it could never come on the market. And he was just this big whale, right? He was, in a way, manipulating the price when the premium was really high. He wasn't creating, you know, new shares fast enough. Uh, he, he, and he, he, he refused to arbitrage away the premium that it once had. Just like right now, he refuses to arbitrage away the, um, the discount. He didn't want to arbitrage away the premium because that was when GBTC was getting a lot of hype. People were, you know, throwing their retirement into this product. Uh, but I think this product is, it's just, it's really a terrible product from the standpoint of somebody who buys in. Now it's a great product for Barry, you know, like hats off to him. He created a great product in my, in my opinion. And I've even talked about how, why hasn't anyone else done what he's done? Because if I was going to bootstrap a new cryptocurrency, this is one of the techniques I might use. What I would do is create a new cryptocurrency. I would put a lot of it into a trust product, just like Barry Silbert did. And what does this do for me? Well, it locks it up so that it can't be technically sold onto the market. But at the same time, I can, when I create the trust product, I issue like shares, security interest in it, depending on how many people give me their tokens. And then all I have to do is wait a year. I think it's now six months, right? I just have to put this exemption in with the SEC. It's a private placement type thing. And this is how you get around, you know, doing an IPO. And you can, you, so you're, if you put all of your coins in this product and you, you created this cryptocurrency, right? You put all of your tokens in here. You just wait a year, right? You, you registered this with the SEC. Technically you're making disclosures, right? Or you could be making disclosures, right? Because you're, you're admitting to the SEC, this is a security, right? So um, you've got your bases covered, right? The SEC can't come after me and, and later and say, oh, you listed an unregistered security. Uh, sorry, you, 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 you sold an unregistered security like because you created this new cryptocurrency. I'd say, well, I registered it. You know, I, I have this exemption and I had a lockup period and then I sold it into the market. Uh, I sold my shares, but I made my disclosures and technically I told the SEC what I was doing. So that, that would allow you if, to basically sell a cryptocurrency um, that way. 
and, and not even worry if the SEC is going to come at me later, five years down the road, because I sold an unregistered security. Uh, so that's part of the genius, in my, my opinion. The other part of it is obviously the lockup. You convince a bunch of people to lock up their shares, at least for 12 months. And that's when the pump can occur, right? So you pump it up or you get, you know, lots of press. Um, and as long as I think you're making disclosures, you're fine. Now, you can't lie, right? So they, somebody could still sue you down the, lo- down the, down the, down the line for uh, fraud. Um, but yeah, it's a great product. <laughs> uh for if you're the if you're the person who creates it um another way that i thought so this is this this is but but what is this playing into like if you're purposely taking coins off the market right through this trust product um you're sort of manipulating the market you're um you're you're purposely taking coins off the market and they're not going to be sold at least your share of them are not going to be sold so big whales can like um, coordinate not to sell, at least for some time, uh, until they can generate some buying. Uh, my my other my other thought that that I haven't seen anybody do, and maybe people have, way to uh, to achieve this goal is to <laughs> create a cryptocurrency. And donate it to this thing called uh, a donor advised fund where you're donating the crypto and you can write it off on your taxes, but technically it's not being sold into the market. So it's not depressing prices. What you do is you, you're basically donating it to a nonprofit entity that basically this, this thing called a DAF, a donor advised fund, basically just holds it. It's under their control but they don't have to actually sell it. And what they say is we're a nonprofit because we're going to eventually give it to a charity, but we're a charity too, because we, we have a charitable goal, but technically there's nothing in the law that says you can't um, hold this on your, on your books forever. So I could create a DAF, a donor advice fund. I could accept Bitcoin donations. Uh, the person who's giving it to me can, can basically have a tax write-off and they base they can look at the market price right around around what it what it's being sold as um, because what they do well you have some independent person come and give you a price uh, but it's not being sold be- because the beauty of it is it's being deferred right it's a giving it's a way to give where you're giving it to a fund and you you hope that they honor where you want the charity eventually to go but technically if you're in bed with that charity you know this person could basically keep it on their books forever and manage it and say, well, yeah, eventually we're going to give it to a charity. So why haven't, I mean, maybe it's been done before, but why haven't any, why hasn't anyone created these donor advice funds specifically for, for cryptocurrency purposes where you can give, you can ta- take the tax write off. It's not even actually sold. And so if none of this crypto is actually being sold, it's not depressing prices. Uh, but yet you get all these benefits. I mean, yeah, you're giving it away. So, uh, you know, if you, it's just if you want to lower your 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 taxes, uh, basically. But but it's also a way to lock up the Bitcoin forever in a way that advantages you, advantages you know your cryptocurrency. Um, just takes it off the market if you can convince the, this fund, right, this donor advice fund, never to sell. And there's been cases of people. Uh, 
you know, lawmakers upset with the way that these things operate, but technically in the, it's in the law that they, they don't actually have to distribute any of their, um, their chair that, you know, what's, what's, what's supposed to go to charity eventually. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see, um, I don't see how people missed this, this, what it, what, like, really, what is this great grayscale Bitcoin trust product? I mean, it's a, it's a great way to lock up Bitcoin for it to never come out to benefit Barry Silbert and his company where they take, you know, 2% management fees that really add up. So if I were Barry, I wouldn't want the ETF to go through. And I wonder why they're, why are they doing that? I mean, I suppose, um, I suppose maybe they can, um, well, I don't know. Actually, I, I have no idea because I don't think it would benefit Bitcoin and they're big Bitcoin people. Um, it would also perhaps um, perhaps reduce the amount that they have under management, reducing their fees. Uh, I guess maybe he's thinking he should do it because it looks so bad to have this much of a discount in the GBTC product. Uh, he maybe thinks he is going to get sued. Right. And maybe so he thinks that what's better? I think the, it's better for the price of Bitcoin to drop for Barry than for him to have this huge discount in um, in his product and for people to be really upset because they know that they can get they know that they should be able to get the Bitcoin out. Right. In theory. And that um, that that this gap should close. But perhaps people don't know, you know, what is this going to do to the price of Bitcoin? Maybe Barry could argue that, well, it would hurt, it actually hurt these guys even more because if I were to sell all this Bitcoin in here, prices would, would drop another 10K or something. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know what the best move for him is, but I do think regardless, he'll probably get sued because I do think that the price of Bitcoin is going to go lower. Um, and maybe it can come back. It probably will come back. But I think that the Fed needs to start printing again for it to come back. And the question is, can it come back to its old highs uh, with real dollars? You know, um, there's this idea that you could print, you know, tethers or you could create new cryptocurrencies that could be could trade for Bitcoin if they're worth anything. They could also help inflate the price of Bitcoin. I think that all these altcoins that trade in Bitcoin, all these other pairs help inflate the price of Bitcoin. I mean, because new ETH that come in, right, every whatever their block time is, right, there's a there's a trading pair called beef, uh, sorry, Bitcoin over, um, to ETH, right? So if you have more ETH coming in, it's inflating itself, just like every other cryptocurrency, and there's all these pairs in Bitcoin with all these other alts, then you're going to increase the price. And then, you know, stable coins can print very easily. Um, so you have... Uh, this opportunity, if you can get big, you know, the crypto market to turn around, uh, you can get the Fed to keep printing. Uh, eventually, might be, you know, a lot of people think that they're going to turn around. But who knows? Um, probably eventually, but but how much pain is there going to be in the market until they actually turn around? And uh, maybe they won't. Maybe they're maybe the the inflation is just going to be too much for them. There's going to be too much pressure on them. But really, we're talking about probably. A depression like we're talking about this economy being like really 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 bad i mean so eventually they're they're going to reverse course i think um i think the bitcoin people are right a lot of people are, are criticizing them 
saying, well, it's the very end. Well, but the Bitcoin people are saying, well, as, as soon as the Fed prints again, turns on the you know printer and reverse course it, uh, Bitcoin is going to go the other way. And I tend to think it, it very well might because um, there's still a lot of true believers in Bitcoin. Um, and it's going to be a signal for them to buy. And there's going to be a lot more, more money coming in. Uh, the only thing that the Bitcoin community needs to make sure that they still have is their credibility. And but I think when the market turns and when it starts going back up, people tend to just look at the price and they'll, they'll see that happen. And eventually, um, it'll probably have another pump, right? It'll have, it'll have another pump. Who knows if it'll get back to its old, old highs. The problem is, is that the fed really needs to print, Right in the beginning, you know, they need to give out stimulus checks to everybody. And are in, are you know, are they going to really throw their money in Bitcoin? Something that perhaps a lot of people lost a lot of money on. Uh, you know, that's that's a good question, right? Or are they going to have or, or or really? I think what's going to happen is people are going to be so poor because they've lost their jobs. Then you know that the, they've they've drained down their savings. Um, everything is going up. Food. Uh, cost of living. So what they're going to do with their stimmies, right, their stimulus checks in the next go around is is use it to survive, right? They've gotten burned on crypto perhaps in the past. And even if they haven't, maybe they made a little bit of money on crypto, but are they going to be so poor, right? So they lost all their money perhaps in the stock market or or whatever. We have this depression that the Fed causes by raising rates and tightening. And then what happens? People lose their jobs. The economy's wrecked. I mean, you, the Fed tries to stimulate and go easy again after all of this destruction. Um, are people going to be really fearful? Right. What that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking is most people are going to be fearful, and they're going to be very careful about putting it into crypto because even if they made money, they're going to look at the chart and say, "Well, a lot of people lost a lot of money in this, and I don't know if I number one, I can't afford to speculate. The mood will be gone." And number two, they'll say, well, let me just put it into something like maybe I'll buy something real. Like they'll be so they'll either be so poor that they need it just to live the extra cash. But everything is going up in price because they're now that they're inflating again. Um, so they'll just be trying to keep up. And then anything extra that they have, they probably would they'd be experiencing inflation, but they'd lost confidence sort of maybe in Bitcoin. They think it's too volatile. So maybe they'll just buy. Uh, I don't know real things that they think they could trade like guns, ammo, maybe they think oil, maybe energy is going up in price. So I would be buying like energy stocks, you know, uh, because this is something that, you know, people really need. Uh, it's probably not going to crater. There's this energy shortage right now. So perhaps they'd be looking at that. Maybe they'd be looking at just more conservative stuff. Uh, you know, agriculture, food, food companies, um, you know, something that can sort of they know that it's conservative that can beat inflation because technically these companies like will have to make a profit and have to raise prices, assuming the government's not going to, you know, come in here and, and cap, <laughs> make a, um, you know, price caps. But I don't know. I think the crypto industry is definitely being damaged right now. And it's not like the past pumps. The past pumps were um, a lot smaller. We didn't have all this. We didn't have, as big of an industry. Um, it was less known. I mean, what was the last pump? Was it 2017 really was the last pump? Um, hardly anybody really 
uh, knew about crypto then. I mean, yeah, that was when it, it really took off, you know, 2017, um, its first big run, but it sort of just went up really high and then it just collapsed um, when the Fed started tightening, I think. Well, they started tightening sometime in either 2018 or I think 2018, maybe even December of 2017, that was the high of Bitcoin. But I, it was just a very different feel back then. It was very, we didn't have the NFT craze. Um, we didn't have the GME, AMC, you know, all that stuff. That didn't occur till after, you know, COVID happened. Robinhood wasn't around, you know. So all of this stuff um, came, came this cycle. And, um, you know, people are now, people are now, um, aware of inflation. Inflation's a lot higher. Uh, but now that they've seen what Bitcoin can do, because it's very volatile, uh, and they've been told it's an inflation hedge, like over and over again, I don't know if the Bitcoiners are going to keep their credibility here. Um, I could be wrong. But I, I see a lot of people losing credibility. And, uh, you know, may, I, I do think it can pump again. And I think the price will be key. And I do think the Bitcoin price can be manipulated. So the, to the extent that people are giving, getting like free money and to the extent that they can afford all their living expenses, maybe they'll throw it into crypto. But, um, but I think that's, that's going to be a gamble. I think that's going to be a gamble because my opinion, all this stuff is non-productive. And what that means is that uh, when rates rise, uh, this stuff tends to go away. And most of this stuff is just uh, from the Fed printing. But on top of that, you have the fraud. And, you know, you know, housing bubbles can repeat, right? Because they're usually just bubbles. They're, ju- you're, they're usually just... Uh, symptoms of the root cause is the Fed, you know, printing money, keeping interest rates low. Um, there's a there's this money that's created created out of thin air. It tends to go into, you know, they bid up things that they they can bid up like housing, and then this rising price attracts people to it. Um, but there's not really that much fraud going on, like in the in a housing market, like a bubble housing market, in my opinion. I mean perhaps there's a little bit of fraud and there's, there's stuff going on where they, you know, package these mortgage backed securities into different tranches and sell them, right. That some are worth nothing. And they, they have the ninja loans, no, no income uh, loans. Um, But, uh, but at least like, they're not talking about a house being um, something that is just not (laughs) like just outright fraud. Like, and houses going to $10 million or something like just normal houses going up in price. Like you'll get rich owning a house. Now there, there is a little bit of that in, in housing bubbles because you can usually buy a house for, for very little, right? So, so you have an enormous amount of leverage. If you can only, if you only have to put 3% down and you have this crazy, you know, raging bull market in housing, that's a lot of leverage for you. Uh, <laughs> but there's just not the, the same type of fraud that, that's happening, um, you know, in the crypto market, in my opinion. So when people are burned, you know, when people lose money and there's going to be politicians that want to take advantage of this, 
that are going to say, we'll go after these crypto people, et cetera, et cetera. You were defrauded. Uh, and then you, you're going to have people very upset. Um, and so where, where, you know, who, what buyers are you going to get? Like you, you've got Matt Damon, this cycle, you got all these celebrities pumping crypto NFTs. The question really is, is who's left to buy? You know, just, is it going to be the institutions? I mean, but they don't want to get sued. Uh, yeah, you know, institutional money, I think, is other people's money. But there's going to be all kinds of regulations and laws that come out against, you know, pu- you know, public pension money being able to buy Bitcoin <laughs> or the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. They're going to see the recent price action and not want anything to do with it. Um, so it's either going to be a long time before you can get people to forget the past, like years probably, Uh or they're just going to remember how painful it was, or it's going to be regulated in a way that no one wants to touch it because of all these upcoming lawsuits that are definitely going to be happening. So I'm pretty bearish on this industry, uh, but I, I'm not a crypto, I'm not a Bitcoin believer in the first place. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, meaning that I don't buy the digital gold narrative. I do, I do think that Bitcoin can have some utility in peer-to-peer transactions, um, but I think this can be replicated by any number of cryptocurrencies. And there's also, um, your, I, I believe that you know, if a crypto is trading, it has a liquid price. Uh, you can use the utility of moving money potentially, potentially, but the Bitcoin network itself doesn't allow you to do that. Right. You have to depend on an exchange that allows you to trade Bitcoin for currency, you know, in your country. And if you're sending it across the world, you have to make sure that the other guy has a way to get out of his Bitcoin um, to his local currency. Uh, so it, you also have to depend on the miners. Are the miners going to be regulated? Are they going to black law, black list people? You know, are they technically money transmitters that eventually will be regulated? There's a lot of ifs here. Um Bitcoin's not really peer-to-peer. There's an intermediary called the miners. The miners have to basically put a stamp of approval on your transaction. So um, I wonder, you know, and I've heard of Lightning. Is there an exchange that will actually let you cash out of a Lightning payment, like a Lightning transaction? I don't actually know. Now, I know that Kraken recently started to allow Lightning, but I think that's just to withdraw. Like, will they let you trade you know somehow I don't, it's probably not even possible um but yeah <laughs> i was just thinking a way you, you could maybe get around the the minor the bitcoin miners uh and still exit out of your you know position but i guess lightning is for small small amounts of bitcoin anyway so i guess it doesn't really make sense um um Yeah, if anybody has any thoughts, uh, you're welcome to call in. I'm just off the cuff here talking about this stuff, and I could be totally wrong. Um, yeah, I guess back to my first point. I don't think like I don't think that Grayscale wants to be an ETF. Why? What is there a reason why they'd want to be an ETF? Because this spread would get, this discount would get. Um, arbitraged away and a bunch of Bitcoin would end up coming into the market. So 
that's bad for Bitcoin. And I know that Barry likes Bitcoin, doesn't want the price to collapse. Um, so, you know, but in theory, you'd have you'd have maybe people buying the, the shares, um, you know, if they could then sell the Bitcoin, but only only certain participants can sell that Bitcoin. But it benefits everybody who's a shareholder because the price at least becomes closer to the the Bitcoin spot price. However, you could say that, well, if that if the Bitcoin spot price goes lower because GBTC is allowing their arbitrage, allowing all this Bitcoin to be sold in the market, perhaps it's worse for the shareholders in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. If the price uh, matches Bitcoin and Bitcoin price spot price actually goes lower than what the share price right is right now. But the share price was like 13,000 on Friday. So um, how much lower could it go? Well, it's either 13,000 or what 19,000, what it is now. Um, you know, if Barry were to let all that Bitcoin out, um, it could, it would probably be, be going lower than 13. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I saw this tweet going around today that was, then I realized it's a thin market because it's Saturday, but it was like 13 million of Bitcoin, um, uh, caused the price to go down 6% today, I guess. Um, I don't know. And you think that this, this Bitcoin trust rate has how much under, under management? Um, maybe I could look that up. Uh, Hmm. I don't think they update their their website uh, every day. Well, on their website, the first screen it says thirteen point one billion under management, but I don't know if that's GBTC. Oh yeah, yeah, GBTC. Oh, but this is dated a different date. This isn't right, unless this is constantly updated. Hmm. Well, I think let's just say it's billions, <laughs> billions of dollars. I think it's billions of dollars. That's probably worse for Bitcoin, you know, than than Barry getting the ETF uh, approval. And, you know, now that the SEC is really under no pressure to approve this Bitcoin, just any kind of Bitcoin ETF, especially the GBTC. Because the price is down, this is like the worst possible time to approve it. Market sentiment, um, and it's also funny that that two senators introduced this comprehensive crypto bill like a week and a half ago, and uh, that's all. You know, it turned out to be like the worst time to introduce this bill because no, no, this bill is never going to pass. I mean. Uh, you know, even if the even if the markets were to come back, uh, you know, the Fed was starting to print again. I don't think that um, anyone would approve it because there's still people that lost a lot of money. And I think the politicians were going to be, you know, besides the ones that are paid off, like Senator Loomis and, and Gillibrand, they're going to be very cautious about endorsing uh, this this type of bill. So I don't think that's going to happen. And there was a lot of things in that bill that would never pass if they were truthful, you know, if they told, you know, the rest of the Democrats what was in it, which is basically a free pass. If you have crypto, you never have to pay taxes again. <laughs> basically, that was written into that bill. I thought that was crazy that a Democrat senator uh, got on board with that.
Yeah, so um, I do think the GBTC is a ter- is a terrible product product if you're, as you know, um, a beneficiary of the trust or a shareholder. It's great if you're Barry. Basically, he has complete control over you know a large segment of the Bitcoin market. He's a huge whale. Uh, but I've never I've never thought that he wanted the actual conversion. Um, perhaps maybe when Bitcoin price was going up, but I, I don't think definitely not now. I can't see why he'd want it other than to um, perhaps he thinks that he won't get sued, right, for, for the huge discount that's that's there. But um, but I, I you know, even if he were to have it be an ETF and the price of Bitcoin were to collapse because of the selling that would go on in this uh, of the Bitcoin, right, that could be taken out. Um, I think he'd still be sued because the GBTC would collapse in price because the whole market would be down. And then he'd be sued because he sold people a product that um, he's, you know, basically he, they've done all kinds of advertisements on this product and uh, basically made lots of false statements in these ads, right? He's been interviewed quite a bit uh, and um, all kinds of, money advisors, managers have, have been telling people to buy this in your 401k and it would all come back to bite Barry right in the butt. So, um, but you know, he's made a lot of money in crypto in Bitcoin. He's got a lot of companies, so I'm sure he'll, he'll be fine, but that means he's got really deep pockets perhaps to, uh, pay out a lot of claims, uh, when he's eventually sued. Um, I, I guarantee you, he will be sued. I mean, all these people are going to be sued. Um, because there's just going to be massive, massive losses. And that's what lawyers do whenever you have losses and you have the smell of fraud, right? Um, is to claw back all that money uh, for people and take a cut of it. That's, that's kind of what lawyers do. Um, Trying to think of if I have anything else to say. <laughs> um, it is amazing that a lot of the crypto people, Bitcoin people especially, um, are so confident, even with this huge crash. I mean, I see the hot, the maxis, right? They're still tweeting about how you shouldn't look at price, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that you should be a long-term holder. Uh, <laughs> volatility is just part of Bitcoin. So it's just, it's crazy that they're not more humble. Like, I don't know what Bitcoin's going to do. Um, I don't really like it long-term, but my long-term is like a long, long time. I think Bitcoin can survive for a long time. It can continue to pump. It can continue to dump. It could go to a million because to me, a million makes as much sense as, you know, 50K. Uh, so, but uh, I think I'm, I'm fairly confident in the long-term value of Bitcoin not being very high. I think it'll still be around, but uh, but I, I do leave room that I could be very wrong, right? Uh, but they're very, very confident. And... You know, they, I'm just, I'm very surprised that they're so confident. Um, they, they say that, you know, 
to do to just to do a con, you have to be very confident. And I I do think that some of them perhaps know what they're doing, and that they're doing a con on purpose. But I do believe that most of them are being honest and that they do believe Bitcoin's going to a million, or at least they've convinced themselves, you know, that's going to a million. It's going to replace the dollar. Now I could see the claim of it's going to a million. Yes. I can't see the claim of it's going to replace the dollar. It's going to be money. That to me is crazier than it's going to a million. I would say it hits a million before it's considered money or a medium of exchange or general medium of exchange or a unit of account that goods and services are actually priced in Bitcoin, right? Not just the dollar equivalent. Um, Cause I think that's virtually impossible. Uh, I guess it could happen, right? It could happen, but it's just not likely. Um, but I would say it would go to a million before it would do any of those things. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but again, I, this is just my own speculation, my own opinion, and I could be very wrong, which is, which is um, the point I'm making is the Bitcoiners think that they're always right. And it does bother me and how confident they seem to be because I don't buy any of their arguments. Um, but uh, I got, I'm going to go ahead and uh, leave it here uh, tonight. So thanks for, thanks for joining.